there's that old thought, I don't know who first came up with it, that you can divide the world up into two kinds of people. You can divide the world up into people who divide the world up into two kinds of people and people who don't divide the world up into two kinds of people. But I do know this, uh, anger, unforgiveness, is a force that causes me to divide the world up into two kinds of people. And one of them are people that I'm not angry at, not resenting, people that I think are good, they're okay, and then people who are not. So we're going to talk today about extending empathy to the person who hurt me. And this is hard. This is going to be hard. You're not going to want to do this. It's okay. I didn't either, but it'll be good. Uh, I'll start by talking about a unique prophet. If you're a Bible person, you might remember the book of Jonah. There's something unique about the prophet Jonah that's different from all the other prophets. You want to guess what it is? And if you came up with, he was vomited out of the belly of a great fish. Nope, that's not the one that I'm thinking of. What's unique about him that really matters amongst all prophets is this. Jonah is the only figure of all the prophets who never identifies with the sinfulness and brokenness and fallenness of the people to whom he speaks. So, if you know about the prophet Isaiah, for example, in the sixth chapter, he has this vision. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And I said to myself, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Or in the first chapter of Micah, right next to the end of Jonah, Micah is talking about the judgment that's coming. And he says, because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal. With all the prophets, there is this scent that they identify with. They are a part of people who need God, who are broken, and therefore they want repentance to come. Therefore, they want forgiveness to flow. Jonah does not. If you remember the story, God wants him to go preach to Nineveh. Um, Nineveh, they're just different. They are other. They are them. We are us. They are bad. We are good. He doesn't want to go there. He finally goes. And when he does, he preaches the world's worst sermon of all time. Destruction's coming in 40 days. And then amazingly enough, uh, the people repent and um, God forgives them. And then here's what the text says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? It's like, I knew you'd forgive him. I didn't want to do it. And the Lord says, is it right for you to be angry? He says, now, Lord, take my life away, for it's better for me to die than to live. So he had ruminated so much on the evil, the badness of the Ninevites that he could not see them. He could not see them. In particular, he could not see them the way that God wanted to see them. So God tries to work with them, does this little parable. He's out sitting in the sun. God sends a little plant to give him shade, then sends a little worm to eat the plant. And um, Jonah's response is, I want to die. It'd be better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And God says, you know, you've been concerned about this plant. Although you didn't tend it or make it grow, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? He's trying to teach Jonah, would you look through another set of eyes? And I want to read another little passage. This is from a writer and philosopher named Iris Murdoch. Uh, a book called The Sovereignty of Good. It's a remarkable thought. I don't know that I'll be able to unpack it well, but it was very powerful as I thought about it. She's thinking about the nature of personhood and spiritual and moral life. 
And how often we think about moral moments as just uh, key decisions. Should I lie or not right now? Should I steal or not? Should I cheat on my income tax or not? Should I yell at my kids or not? As though they're just isolated times. And she considers instead uh, a mother-in-law and her daughter-in-law, a mother-in-law who has been kind of writing her daughter off, dismissing her in her mind. You couldn't tell this by what she does, but she just thinks of her as this kind of flighty, kind of vulgar, kind of juvenile, kind of shallow, immature person. And then it occurs to her, maybe I have not been seeing her correctly. Maybe I have been selling her short. I need to look at her differently. Now, here's what Iris Murdoch writes. When the mother-in-law is just and loving, she sees her daughter-in-law as she really is. In other words, the question is, uh, am I seeking to see this person truthfully? Uh, not through rose-colored glasses, but in the truth. And then do I love them? Is my will set towards love? She goes on. One is often compelled almost automatically by what one can see. Mostly, we don't think of ourselves as facing great moral choices. We simply do what is natural to us based on what we see. But what if I'm seeing things other than the way they really are? What if I'm seeing, when I look at people, what Jonah is seeing when he looks at the Ninevites? She goes on. If we consider what the work of attention is like, how continuously it goes on, how imperceptibly it builds up structures of value around us, we shall not be surprised that at crucial moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is already over. Like to Jonah, it was quite clear. None of us should just be condemned. Uh, the moral life, in many people's view, she says, or in this view, when we understand that attending is part of the moral life, part of our spiritual life, the moral life is something that goes on continually, not something that is switched off in between the occurrences of explicit moral choices. Should I lie? Should I cheat? Should I steal? I often think about it that way. No, 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 no. My moral life, my spiritual life, therefore my need for God is happening every single moment. Do I see in this moment goodness and beauty that could and actually should prompt gratitude in me, or do I not? Where am I putting my attention? I was very struck this morning just how often I will put my attention, for example, on negative political situations that just give me the grist to feel either superior or deeply discouraged about what's going on in the world when I want to see reality, but I want to look at it through truth and courage and love. What happens in between such choices is indeed what is crucial. And what I want to ask for is magic eyes to look at the world and especially people, not through the eyes of ego or unforgiveness, but through the eyes of truth or love. So here's the help. This is from Ev Worthington. Now, this is a little exercise to do. You're not going to like it. I get it. I don't like it either. Got to do it. Write a few sentences about a time you hurt someone. Before, during, and after you hurt the person, what did you feel, think, see, and do? I have a very vivid memory several years ago of being frustrated and angry with someone and they got out to walk around for a while. I got out to walk around for a while. We both got back in the car and I threw my jacket into the car as a gesture of disgust and contempt that I knew would be painful for them, unwelcome to them, hurtful for them. And that's what I wanted. 
And a little while after that, and even now as I recount that, I regret that so much. It was such a bad way to handle that moment. Um, and then, and then it goes on. Think about this. We all do things for reasons we think are good at the time. And I did. I was frustrated. I wanted to break through. I didn't know how to break through. I did it in the wrong way. These might not seem like good reasons to the people who have been hurt, though. We have all experienced hurting others, even with the best of intentions. So we can understand that the person who hurt us might have believed his or her reasons were good. It might be difficult, but can you try to imagine that your wrongdoer might not have meant to harm you? And I, I have had to, and I'm in the process of walking back through so many moments and so many people in my life and thinking, they probably didn't wake up that morning thinking, how can I inflict pain on John? So, uh, this involves now that you have done uh, the thinking about your own time of hurting somebody, think about a hurt you're trying to forgive. Write about, this is from Ev, write about what you think the wrongdoer was experiencing. It's tempting to think of wrongdoers as evil and unkind, like the Ninevites. And sometimes they are. Sometimes I am. But often in our hearts, we can see we might have provoked the person, that the person might have meant well, or that the person might have been under pressure that made his or her acts easier to understand. So, can you see any of these things working in your relationship with that person? Did you provoke that person at all? Might the person have meant well? Might the person have been under quite a lot of pressure? Now, here's the idea. You're trying to get a different glimpse of that other person to look at them with God's help through magic eyes. It does not excuse if somebody did something that is wrong, that is deeply wrong. It helps me understand them. It helps me to begin to see them through magic eyes as a real person. God, help me to move in that direction. Help me not to be Jonah today. Give us as we forgive. Thanks for joining us. At Become New, we want to grow spiritually one day at a time, but it's tough to do that alone. So we're offering a little more support for anyone who would like to work on putting the content into practice. You can sign up to receive a text at the end of each week in this series, asking if you completed the here's how portion for that week. If you want, you can reply to the text and let us know how it went, or if you need prayer in taking those action steps. To sign up for the end of week reminder, just text the word MORE to 855-888-0444, and we'll put you on the list. As always, to receive the emails or video links by text, you can let us know at becomenew.com slash subscribe. If you're already signed up for the emails but aren't getting them, Try checking your spam folder, or better yet, you can add us to your contact list. Our email address is connect at becomenew.com. If you need prayer, we're here for you. Text your specific prayer request to 855-888-0444. There's a team of us who meet each weekday to pray specifically over every person who sends a text in. We'll catch you next time.